Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Woo, let's get into that one. <sighs> Guys, good morning. It is finally... December, it is the season that it's socially acceptable for me to light my pine-scented candle and to turn on my favorite Christmas album of 1992, Home for Christmas by the wonderful Amy Grant. (laughs) Guys, it is epic. It is epic. I'm pretty sure Russell wants to like pull out his hair from hearing this album so much in our house. But the other day I contended that I've actually learned a lot about God growing up through this album. Like it's really given me like you know, verbiage for my theology. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Russ, I didn't know what Emmanuel meant when I was a kid. Like, who knows, like, oh, yeah, the meaning of Yahweh and Emmanuel. You know these words that mean God, but, like, you don't know. And I was like, Amy helped me understand what Emmanuel means. And he's like, what are you talking about? Let me show you. (laughs) Right? I mean... (laughs) Thank you, Amy, on uh, giving me some uh, verbiage for my theology. Also, I really hope this goes on silent. My phone is broken right now, and it just rings on its own. So we're going to hope that I'm very unpopular this morning. Um, Yes, if you have children, start them young. It's never too early for Amy. Um, We are in a new series. Um, It is December. We are starting the series of Advent, and I am... Super stoked about this. I mean, everything about the holidays gets people jazz. Not everybody, actually. Um, We're going to talk about reasons why not everybody is jazz. But it's it's an exciting season when we look throughout history and we start to kind of dissect what the season is all about. So, um, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. So this is a part of the season that we get to look back and celebrate the plot twists of all plot twists when the author of the story actually wrote himself into the story, which isn't unique throughout history. It's, it, he's not the only author to do so. However, there are a couple of unique things about this story in that the character that he wrote himself in as was a baby, a weak human that came into the world, died to save the world. The other unique thing is that the author is the almighty God of the entire universe. And we've been going through Exodus, and you know that throughout history there's been gods that are gods of different lands or places, but this was the God of the entire universe. So we call it the season of Advent because seasons help focus our attention on different elements of the season that are important for us to to look at. So um, in spring, we see, um, I'm I'm sorry, I am like, I feel you. We're we're about to get into some really rich, deep things right here. Um, Spring is a season that we we are focused on life, right? Babies are born, um, animals, uh, we see life all around us. Uh, in the winter time, it's a season that we focus our attention on on rest and silence and quiet is a part of that. In the summertime, we are focused on uh, sweating, uh, 
or at least that's what I was told as a 13-year-old who realized she had a severe sweating problem. My dad was like, it is a season, Anna. It is good. It cleanses your pores. It gives you a glow. So I was like, great. I love this season. Um, so this season, this season of Advent, also has different elements that we're going to focus on. And the one that we're going to be focusing on today is the element of waiting. Now, we're in Isaiah's text today. Um, one theologian said that Isaiah is like the fifth gospel. Um, and he says that because we see all of this really rich um, messianic expectation in his, in his verbiage. You know, we, we see these seeds of a coming king, a messiah that's going to come and vindicate Israel and save the world. Um, and then later on in the Gospels, we see that this story comes crystal clear in the story of Jesus of Nazareth. So, we start with the element of waiting in anger. Advent is a season of waiting in anger. The first part we read is O. O in the Hebrew, that, oh, oh wait, sorry, I heard myself, let me go back. I just said in the Hebrew, as if I read Hebrew and Greek. I don't, but for those of you that know me, my husband is Russell Joyce. Um, and if you don't know me, if you're new today, let me fill you in. Uh, my husband often teaches up here, and he is a man that when he wakes up in the morning, reads three Bibles, the Greek, the Hebrew, and the English ambitious. And um, he's not only a reader of these things, he is an enthusiast, if you've ever heard him preach. Like, he gets so excited. So when we talked about, you know, what scripture I'd be teaching on this morning, he was like, oh, I just read it, and there's all this Hebrew, and you have to take him back to the roots and, you know, describe all these things. So you will have Russell's enthusiasm throughout this. Um, so let's continue with the Hebrew class. <clears throat> so the O at the beginning of this, this text is actually, um, the Hebrew word is lu, which means O if only. It's not just O, it's this O that has this glass half empty connotation, and it's angry. O if only you would come down to do what you've said you're going to do, right? Isaiah is, is waiting for something that's not yet to come, and he's not sure that it's ever going to happen. He has this kind of like, Ugh, oh, if only you would, but I'm mad because you're not. And I don't know if you ever will. He's mad. My sister and her husband a few years back were trying to um, have a baby. And it was years and years of struggle. And it came out that they both actually had health problems. Um, that really severely limited their chances of ever conceiving. In fact, I think at one point throughout this whole process, they were given odds in the single digits of being able to ever successfully have a child. And my sister <laughs> cried out to God, oh, if only you would give me a child. And there's, there's an expectation. She was waiting. Isaiah is waiting, but there's this, God, are you really ever going to do this? Are you going to provide? I am angry. You know my heart. My heart wants to be a mother and to have this great experience. Oh, if only. I know a lot of us can relate to this groaning of, Lord, I, I expect that you're going to do these things, but I don't know that you're ever going to do it. And it makes us angry and bitter and cynical. 
I'm sure there's a few of us that are angry at God right now, and we're cynical because we are in a season of waiting, and it's just taken too long. You then know the type of anger that Isaiah sits in. And we can see as he goes on, the, the language that he's using kind of shows his anger as he talks about nature, right? He's talking about that you would shake the earth, Lord, that you would ignite brush, that you would boil water. He's not like, oh, come down and make the lilies bloom, you know? Like his language is intense. It's angry. And he's usually using nature to help show how angry he is. Um, he wants the course of the world to change. And for him, what would change, what would completely change the world is for God to come down and make his name known, we read. To make your name known to your enemies. And that seems like, you know, God could just come down and say, hey, I'm God, I'm the Lord, I rule this whole place. But actually, the way that he's saying it is, the Hebrew word is yada, which means to do something forcefully. So Isaiah's like, I want you, Lord, to come down and make your name known. I want you to shake shake things. I want you to boil water. I want you to ignite fires. Make your name known, God, not just passively, but aggressively. Vindicate us. It reminds me, I don't know if you have seen the movie Cool Runnings, anybody? (laughs) Right? Feel the rhythm. Feel it, right? So there is this epic moment where this really shy guy is getting bullied at a bar, and he kind of runs and cowers away, and his friend pulls him, and he goes, you, no, this is who you are. Say your name. And he's like, oh, my name is Junior. And he's like, no, no, say your name, because I see pride. I'm going to use the word booty for the word other word in this instance, okay? So he goes, I see pride. I see power. I see a bad booty mother who don't take no crap off of no one. Say your name to me. And he's like, ah, I see pride. I see, and he's like, no, 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 say it like this. So by the end, Junior's like, well, I see pride. I see power, you know, and he's like, yeah. And then he goes out to like kick some butt. And the guy's like, whoa, whoa, don't fight. (laughs) You're, You're not a good fighter. Come back in here. But that is what Isaiah wants. He wants God to come down and say, I am God. I am power. I am a bad booty mother. (laughs) That'd be pretty epic. I wouldn't mind that. (laughs) Advent is a season of waiting and anger, you guys. It's not this, oh, holy night picture that we have. Um, it's, It's okay. It's good to be angry for the things that we wait for. Isaiah was. The other way that we wait is we wait in remembrance. So he goes on to say, when you did awesome things, we did not expect. The root of awesome things is yara in the Hebrew, which means to fear, okay? So awesome things has this this fear. And, And as a kid, I remember reading things in scripture saying like God wants us to fear him because in my mind things that were scarier like the boogeyman and you know child abductors and I'm like we're supposed to fear God like isn't he supposed to love us and there is something terrifying about a being that has all the power in the world right because in our context somebody with that much power of course is going to be wicked because that's all we see of power in this world power corrupts right but not our God you guys he has 
all of the power in the world, yet he is good and he loves us. But there is something beautiful to fear about somebody who has all the power in the world and yet he came to earth as a baby. So there's that fear, but then there's also this fear of just holy reverence and awe of what he does. So Isaiah is remembering these like amazing things that God has already done. For those of us, for those of you that have been with us, we've just gone through Exodus and that story. So we've seen the amazing awe of God. The other root in this is for the did not expect. This is really cool. <laughs> I sound like Russell. Guys, this is really cool. Stay with me. Stay with me. Um, so the root for did not expect um, is kava in Hebrew, which means to wait for. So here we are in this season of waiting, and God is doing things that we weren't even waiting for. And this becomes so apparent as Isaiah is calling out, right? Isaiah is like, Lord, come down, vindicate your people, you know, knock the world over, change it all. And then we, we know later in the story that then he sends Jesus as a babe in a manger riding in on a donkey only to be killed. Yeah, he did something we weren't expecting at all. And we get to see that happen later on in the text. But isn't that just like God? How, I mean, we beg and we pray, Lord, for him to do things only for even weeks, years, months later to realize you did what I wasn't even expecting. And my gosh, it was so much better than what I was expecting and what I was waiting for. A lot of you know my husband. Um, he had golden heart syndrome when he was a baby, which is basically a condition that in his brain, as an infant, when he was still in utero, uh, a blood vessel popped, and it kind of caused a bunch of chaos in his body, right? So he was born um, without the bones in his face ever completing. He didn't have an ear. Um, his heart was backwards with holes in it in the middle of his chest. He didn't have a rib. The bottom half of his right lung doesn't work. You know, all of these things. And so, you know, at the beginning, there was all these surgeries to make him whole, you know, to heal his heart and make sure that his body worked properly. But then throughout his childhood, he had so many surgeries, you know, to put bone in his cheek to make it look normal or to kind of build an ear. He still can't hear out of that side, but, you know, have an ear so it looks, you know, normal. All of these surgeries, that kind of helped um, to better his life, but they weren't, they weren't aiding in him actually surviving. And his father um, would pray for him through all of these surgeries when he saw his kid in so much pain. Lord, heal my son, heal my son. And as he started to get older and started to become into those years where you're starting to get into your teens and you realize you look different and you realize people look at you and they stare and they point, his father's heart was, Lord, make my, son's, make my son whole. Make him whole. Just touch his face and take away all of these things that are going to cause him pain in life. And he remembers this moment, I think Russ was maybe about 10 or so, that he was just, his father was crying out to God, make my son whole, make my son whole. And that the presence of the Lord spoke to him and said, don't you see, I already have. Yeah, Russell had the scars on his face, he still does today. He still can't hear out of that side. But me being his wife, not knowing him his entire life, but, you know, a period of his life, I know that my husband would not be the man that he is today if he did not have these scars. These scars are a part of what made him whole. And it had nothing... His heart was, was close, he was healthy, but 
this idea that Tim had of what his son looked like whole. Any parent would have, right? Of course you want your son's face to look whole, his body to be whole. But God was making him whole in a completely different way. And I am so thankful for the way that God did what his father wasn't even expecting because it has made my life so much richer. I can't imagine the story, the person that he would be without those because they shaped him. That expectation, I'm so thankful that God just radically did something so much different, something we weren't even waiting for. The next part of the text says, From ages past, no ear has heard, no eye has seen any God except you, a God who works for those who wait for him. Isaiah is remembering that God is a God who works for those who wait for him, He's shown that time and time again. And so Isaiah is, is agitated in this moment, too, of like, Lord, I, I, we see that you are a God that does good things for your children who wait for you. I, Isaiah, am waiting for you. You, your, your people, we, your people, Israel, we're waiting for you. So as he's remembering, it, it's also making him even more angry and more bitter because we remember that God has done something good, so why isn't he doing it now? God, do it again. You, we know that you're capable. We marvel at your glorious deeds. Why aren't you showing up now? Remembering in this season can also cause pain because it causes confusion in us. Um, for anybody that's been you know, a Christian for a, a longer period of time, um, it's common for us to go with our go through what are called desert seasons, right? A lot of you have probably experienced this when you just feel like God has vacated. You know, he's not present. When you pray, it feels hollow. Um, you, you don't feel his nearness, and then your life becomes really confusing and chaotic, and you go, Lord, where are you? Where have you gone? And, you know, hopefully, usually through some time, different periods of time for everybody, he draws you out of that. And then you can look back and see what God was doing during that period, and you say, oh, I'm thankful for it. I don't want to go back to it, but I'm thankful for what you did, Lord. But oftentimes in a Christian walk, there are multiple desert seasons that we go through. And that is hard sometimes because we go back through it and say, Lord, we've done this before. Why are we doing this again? I've been dried out. You know, you've left me in this season to learn things. I learned it. We don't need to do this again. And, and the remembering part causes pain um, and anguish. and It makes us bitter and cynical. Um, another way that we wait <laughs> is in collective despair. Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> so glad this Advent series is getting really kicked off. Um, the next thing that we see in the text is that we wait in collective despair. So, he says, You visit those who rejoice in doing right, who remember your ways, but you angered, and we continue to sin against your ways. How can we be saved? All of us are like one who is unclean. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. We wither like a leaf all of us, and our sins, like the wind, carry us away. So the Hebrew construction of this is really awesome, <laughs> in that we read in some of this, you know, the way that it's been translated, the all of us is at the beginning of the sentence, but in the Hebrew it reads like this, we have become like the unclean, 
all of us. Like filthy rags is the righteousness of us. We shriveled up like leaves, all of us. So what the author is trying to translate is like it's this judge's gavel at the end of every sentence. All of us are filthy. All of us are unclean. It is this collective despair that we have as a people that none of us have made it. Are righteous. We try, but there is collective despair that he speaks of in the text. The filthy rags is our righteousness. The Hebrew word for the filthy rags is actually the same as uses menstrual cloths. That is how dirty, that's how bad it's gotten. And it's, <laughs> this is, our righteousness is like the filthy rags. This is what we're trying to do right, guys. Not when we're like, screw you, I'm off doing my own thing. This is when we try, we are still broken. And Isaiah is in collective despair for his people. And it's hard because this has been the pattern, right? It's broken because we broke it. It says, we angered you. We continued to sin against you. You came to your people and we broke it again and again. How can we be saved? You guys watch Elf, right? I think about Buddy, sweet Buddy, um, who is, you know, living, born, raised in Elf world and then comes to the big, bad New York City and is trying to, like, make amends with his long-lost dad. And everything that he does that, like, he's trying so hard to be good and, like, connect with his dad is, like, utterly, like, He's breaking things, right? He's, like, making his dad so angry and, you know, getting them, like, fired from his job. And even, like, the sweet parts where he's trying, he comes home in this one scene and he's completely, like, redecorated their home. And, like, he's, like, put up confetti and snowflakes everywhere. And then he, like, built a piece of furniture, which seems so sweet. Like, oh, my gosh, this new son has built me furniture. But he, like, broke, I don't even know what it was, their TV console or something, right, to make this horse which seems sweet, but in my mind, I'm like, that's like someone coming into my house and being like, I destroyed your couch, but I made you a snowflake. Here's a glorified cotton ball from your couch. And I'm like, that's great, but I want my couch back. Are you kidding me? That's kind of like Buddy, even, even his best attempts at connection, at being good are just broken. They're broken. Advent is a season of waiting and collective despair. And then there's the fourth, hope. <laughs> Yay! Advent is a season of waiting in hope. You have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hands of our sins. Doesn't seem very hopeful, but stay with me. <laughs> So the word for delivered here, you guys, means to melt. So literally, we sinned and the Lord says, good, not good. <laughs> he doesn't say good. But he allows us to be melted, physically, like literally melted into our sin. So to visualize, we become this liquid, mushy, sin-stained goop. That is what we have become 
And he allows us to be, he has come to us, he is a God that has come and we have continued to sin against him and he has allowed us to melt into this goop. But God is a potter. I uh, took art class in seventh and eighth grade and uh, for those of you now, if you've ever seen like a potter's wheel, right, where they like start out with the clay and then they mold things, now they have like a button and the thing spins, right, you can like shape things. Not in my eighth grade class, you had to like pedal it, you know, and like shape the clay, which is the most awkward thing for someone who's very not coordinated, so I did theater. And so I like, I was trying to like, you know, shape the clay and like move the potter's wheel and you're like, oh, I don't know, like all my vases were crooked and my mom's like, oh, it's so abstract. And I'm like, I know. It's for you. I'm pretty sure I go home and she still has my old like clay like on the mantle and I'm like, mom, get rid of it. But now I'm like, I don't know, you kind of work nowadays, you know, all this like janky stuff. Um, but if you've ever seen the beginning of what it looks like when it starts, it's, it's formless goop, right? That's just slopped down on the middle of this potter's wheel. And then as it spins and the potter's hands come to the clay, it's beautiful. If you've ever actually watched it on YouTube, it's so awesome to see how the hands just kind of start to mold things and they, you know, put their thumbs in, things start happening. Then all of a sudden you see this, this formless goop and all of a sudden it comes out and you're like, oh, that's amazing. And it's gorgeous at the end. Guys, our God is a potter like that. The next, the, um, the part in the scripture where it says that we are the work of your hand, the way that the Hebrew is structured here is the work of your hand, all of us. Yes, there is collective despair. We are angry, we are bitter, we have angered and sinned against the Lord time and time again, and we have become this liquid, goopy, sin-stained thing, all of us. Yet, we now are in the palm of our Creator's hand, all of us, and He is making something beautiful. He's transforming something that is utterly broken. And that is where our hope is. That he's not leaving us in our collective despair and our anger. It's awesome because in, in verse 7, we melt into the hands of our own sin, right? But then in verse 8, um, we've we are in the hands of our creator. So it's almost like we're sitting here with our own goop that we, we don't know what to do with, and God says, I got this. I'm really better at this than you are. And he creates something beautiful. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Guys, Advent is a season that we acknowledge that the world is a place and we are a people that are angry, we're bitter, we're cynical, and we are utterly broken. 
we remember a God of old who did amazing deeds, which makes us more angry sometimes because we say, why not now? What are you waiting for? How are you showing up? Which creates collective despair. <laughs> um, but Isaiah talks about a hope. And Advent is a season that we wait in all of these things. I, I don't think that it's possible for us to wait in this hope without experiencing the other aspects of this season. Because we see it in our daily lives, right? All of you guys are waiting for different things in your life, and you've experienced all of these things so acutely that you're waiting on the Lord, and you experience the bitterness, the anger, and you hope for something that you're not sure is even going to happen. But he's shaping us, friends. He is taking our, our sinful, stained goop, and he's not leaving us there, but he is creating something that is utterly beautiful with whom he's doing it with all of us will you pray with me <clears throat> Lord God this is a season that we acknowledge that this world seems so beyond repair we look at the social climate of today and we think, man, Isaiah was ahead of his time talking about these things, but it's not the truth. Isaiah was just in the middle of a history that has repeatedly fallen, been broken, continuing to break. We sit sometimes in just collective despair saying, how is it possible that we can become anything other than this goop that sits on an empty table. But you don't leave us there, Lord. And thank, thank you, God, that you don't, because we are really unable to shape ourselves. Our hands are, are stained, Lord, but your hands are beautiful, and they form us, and they are forming us. But I pray, Lord, for people right now that are still waiting in seasons of bitterness and loneliness and despair and, and cynicism. Don't, don't draw away from us, Lord, but draw into us. Be with us in this season, Lord. Walk with us through this season of life. We know that is important. All seasons have purpose and plan for you, Lord, and so we ask that you would walk with us in it because that is truly the only way that these seasons are bearable sometimes, Lord. And let us walk in hope together in the joy of the coming of what is to come. And we celebrate that, Lord, but we do need to walk through the season. So walk with us, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.